Good morning. Good New Year's Eve morning. All right. Well, as you guys make your way to the seats, to your seats, I heard that the uh, fruit snacks were a hit from Gail Williams. Gail, thanks for setting all that up for us. Those who serve in our kids' ministry today, they're getting a, a rest over the holidays, but also we're just excited to have you kids in our service for the entire time this morning. It's pretty cool. So kids, you're in a stage of life where you're dealing, you're learning, uh, just to, to kind of sit still sometimes. It's hard, right? But us parents and, and adults, we get it kind of getting our, set in our ways, and, and, and we're learning how to be more flexible and uh, adapt to things. So that's what we're going to do today. And uh, we're going to have a little mini sermon at the front, end, and, uh, but really the whole message is for everyone in the room. And uh, so use this opportunity, parents, to instruct your kids. You can feel free to whisper, lean over, explain something to your kids, um, instruct them in any way. Uh, we realize kids will be kids, but it's a privilege to worship with them this morning. Um, so let's, let's see this time as a time to fix our eyes on Jesus, to approach his word, and let it form and shape us as we uh, engage it together. All right? So kids... I get really excited when big waves come. I'm looking for my sermon slide. It'll pop up there in a second, I'm sure. It's really key, A-dub. It's uploaded in the uh, services uh, part. Right. Um, and Naomi has another one. It's not so key. I just, it, it's a picture of a surfer, and he's standing in front of the waves. It's cold. He's got his wetsuit on. It's dreary, and he's looking out his boards on the ground, and he's just contemplating what's next, but he's also excited. See, because I get excited when I'm a surfer, and when I'm driving to the beach, I, I can just imagine what the beach is like while I'm driving, trying to be patient, but I'm just, the sun's coming up, I'm gripping the steering wheel, driver's getting my way, and I'm like, Ugh! and, um, you know, I start thinking about the waves, the smell of the ocean, I, keep, I, I think of the people that are already riding those waves as the sun is coming up, and I can tend toward impatience. But at the same time, if I'm, if I'm being patient, if I'm trusting the process, I'm trusting the drive, I'm, you know, I get a smile on my face and I just start imagining what's going to happen hopefully soon. Well, what about you? Do you ever ask your parents, kids, do you ever ask your parents, are we there yet? Anyone ask that question? I'm sure you have. Maybe, and maybe, maybe there's like a little, like a higher tone in your voice. Some people might call it whiny and, uh, and <laughs> And you might say, when are we, we going to get there? But you already know that, that like, you know, when you say, uh, are we there yet? You know you're not there yet, or you'd be pulling in, you know what I'm saying? You get bored riding in, in long car rides. You get bored being in a, um, in a line, wherever that is, you know. There are these times, and you might, like, jab your brother or sister. You might, uh, you know, you're just trying to pass the time. Why is that? Well... It, you know how it goes. It, it, you get grumpy when you're waiting. All right, let me see, kids. Show me hands. Is that any of that ring a bell? Anybody, okay, okay. And we have parents. Okay. Now, now tell me, when do you kids? This is just for kids. When do you all get a little impatient? When do you? What what kind of things do you do you know is coming up? And you're like, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. Yell it out. What's something that you? Or get excited about? Birthdays. Okay, and birthdays. All right. What else? Christmas. Ah, 
That's right. That's right. What else? What else do you get excited about? You're like, oh, when, when's it going to happen? Or who am I going to see? What is it? Don't, William, did you say donuts? Someone said donuts. Okay, okay. Do- per- excellent. Yes. Jerry said donuts, too. <laughs> Someone back there. I see a hand way back there. Is that a, Elijah, Gideon? A kid? What are you thinking, man? When do you, when do you feel like that? Hey, we're going to see later today. Something's going to come up. Well, when we, when we, when we're, when we get a little grumpy as we're waiting, you know, Christmas was just here and we're, and, and you know, that morning, you know, every kid, every, everyone's like, when can we open the presents, mom? When can we open the presents, dad? And you know, maybe they have to get their coffee or they have to, and you're just like, oh, come on. Can we just, that's called being impatient. Excited but impatient, and we all do it. We get impatient when we realize or we forget whoever is looking out for us at the time is doing all they can for our good. It's when we know they love us and the plans that they have for us, they're for our good, that we have hope, that we have hope of getting what is best for us. Now, everyone say hope. All right. Kids, if you count how many times we say hope, this, I say hope this morning and you get it right, uh, I'll give you a prize, okay, next week, starting now. So every time I say hope, that's one right there, okay? We have AI that can watch our sermons, so it will tell us how many. You think I'm joking now. All right. For instance, when we truly believe our parents are looking out for us and they want the best for us, we have hope when we don't understand what is taking so long, or why we can't do something we want to do. You know, we're waiting, and we don't want to wait, but we know our parents are looking out for us, and that's when we can be patient, when we know, when we hope for what they have in store, because we trust them. Now, when we trust our parents and have hope in them, we will be patient. Everyone say patient. Patient. All right. Now the clock's on for that. Those are two words, hope and patient, okay? Okay. That counted. That counted. And if you get close, it counts too, okay? Some total of each. How many times for... Look at here, Jerry. All right, all right. I mean it too. I thought about this, okay? I got the prize. I got it all figured out. That's right. We love having you kids in here this morning. Trust me. So when we trust our parents and we have hope in them, we will be patient. But kids... You're not the only ones who struggle with patience in the room, as you've heard already in some way. I mean, we all struggle to be patient sometimes. But ultimately, when we're impatient, this is ultimately, we forget or don't realize that God, our Father, loves us and the plans he sets for us are good. We could say, you know, it's about our parents, but at the end of the day, if we're waiting in line, if we're in this car ride, whatever we're doing, God has his plans for us. He's directing all things. And when we get angry, when we get frustrated, when we get a little whiny, in some way it's saying, God, I don't don't trust your timing. And kids, you might have a lot of questions. And, And to be honest, we adults do too. We're trying to figure out life even as we get older and older. But there's one thing we do know. And I know you guys had a memory verse recently, John 3, 16. You want to say it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him 
will not perish, but have eternal life, everlasting life. That's right. Good job, guys. Good job. And we know what God has done. We can look at the cross. We can look that God has sent his son to die for us because he cares about us. And we know the future. There's a future in that verse. You know, he will give us eternal life. We will be with God. We will walk with God from now into eternity. So do you believe God dearly loves you, kids? And That's right, that's right. And he wants the best for you. And so when we display patience, we show God is good and that he can be trusted. We show God off when we're patient. We actually show that we're trusting God. And that goes for us as parents, too. When we, when we are patient, we are showing the heart of God. We're showing the ways of God. We're showing the patience of God. And kids, God has given you a mom or dad or maybe someone else who's looking out for you, and hopefully they've proven to you over a long period of time that they dearly love you and that they're trustworthy. And when you're patient and you're showing off God, even when things aren't going your way, it can look like you're, you're, you're kind, you're calm, you have this trusting attitude. When things get hard or you get bored or you don't get what you want, you're like a giant projector screen just showing off your trust in God. Did you know that God loves you more than anyone else? I mean, he loves you even more than your parents. Believe it. He also is more trustworthy than anyone, anywhere. And God wants you to know that no matter what problems you have in your life, he loves you, he wants the best for you, he's proved it by dying for you, and he'll make everything that is bad in this world good one day. Amen. And next we're going to look, to, for the rest of the time, at how um, God gives promises. He was prayerful and how he was patient in hard times. We look at Jesus, his promises, his prayerfulness, and his patience. And parents, when you see your kids being patient when things are hard, make sure to point that out. It's a good way to identify what God is doing in their hearts. And kids, when you see your Parents or, 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 or your friends being patient when things are hard. You could say, wow, you're being so patient. You're showing off God to me. I know it's hard to say those things, but we need to celebrate what God is doing in people. And I'm telling you, when we grow in patience, we really do display God's work in our hearts. So let's pray to that end. So Father, help us. Help us to, to grasp your love for us. Help us to see you as trustworthy and help us to be patient like you as we trust in you during hard times when we're waiting and we don't know what's happening. In Jesus' name, amen. That, okay, you keep counting, buddy. Keep counting, okay? It's, it's going. Just keep going. This tally's going. Transitions and trials. I mean, those are the hardest times, Gulf Coast. How do we as followers of Jesus have hopeful endurance through such seemingly relentless difficulties and unknowns? It's by pursuing patience. That's the title of the sermon today. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. It's something that is formed in us by God as he molds and shapes our hearts to become more like Jesus. And when we express patience that's rooted in love of God, we show off God for the world to see. So we're going to have three points today, promise in the pain, prayer in the pain, and patience in the pain. So promise in the pain. Look with me at Romans 8, 18. 
I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now, right here, you have reality and you have promise. There will be sufferings, but yet glory is coming. They go, they're, they're together. There's a broken world that we, we are in, there's pain, and we do suffer. That's a reality. I always joke sometimes, I say, whoever said life would be easy, I mean, they were, they were lying. They were lying. And, I, I, and every day I realize that more and more. I see the suffering around, and I, I'm like, man, that's the, the, the exception is not pain, right? There, there are present sufferings, yet the promise is there will be glory revealed in us, to us, and for us. The Greek word there allows all three of those, in us, to us and for us. This promise of glory being revealed in us, to us, and for us means we'll be transformed into people who are fully redeemed, bearing God's image perfectly. We will be conformed to the image of his son, as verse 29 points. And see, that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't start when we die. It begins now. It happens now. As we are molded and shaped into Jesus' image, as his spirit comes to dwell inside of us, he's working all the time, molding and shaping us to be more like Jesus. It begins to take place in us, to us, and for us. All the way until we receive our promised resurrection bodies. Full glorification. So there's promises in the pain. Look with me at Romans 8, starting in chapter 19. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God. No, I lost my place. For the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently." You see, we feel this sense of frustration and longing as we, we navigate the space between this wonderful promise and the reality that we're living in. And this feeling comes because although the Spirit's actively making changes within us, He's working. That complete renewal, it's a work in progress. It takes time, a lot, time, a lot longer time than, than we like at, some t- at, at a point. And so we're currently experiencing a glimpse of the Spirit's impact it's like the first fruits of a harvest. See, the image Paul uses is of early sheaves of the harvest field. These, they're given to God, signaling a, a larger harvest to come. More that will be produced in the future. And so there's this hope, rooted in the love of God and the promises of God. See, a Christ follower has a hope, much like faith. It's something we do not see in full exactly. But yet it still compels us to live differently. There are promises in the pain. There's hardships. 
There's hope in the hardships. Let me give you an example. You have a mom who, who becomes pregnant, and she endures those hardships. Let's be honest. There's hardships in pregnancy. You, you, many of you are well acquainted with those. But there's this, this, this future hope of a baby that, that she can hold. That's what helps her endure. That's what helps her press on. She doesn't know all the struggles and the joys of the next nine or ten months, but she waits looking ahead toward those promises. She's looking ahead. She endures. So the story of Lazarus, many of you may be familiar uh, uh, with that story in John chapter 11. Jesus gets a, a message from Mary and Martha. And this message tells him about their brother Lazarus who had died. Jesus was close to Martha. Jesus was close to Mary and Lazarus. Lazarus. And two days later, after getting the message, Jesus finally decides, he, he gets his disciples, he takes them, and he says, hey, we should go to where Mary and Martha live and where Lazarus is, dead. It was their hometown. It was Bethany. And so it took him two days. He's figuring this out. And, and the disciples, actually, they don't like the idea. Here's why. They, they, they said, if we go there, we will die because there are a bunch of people trying to kill Jesus. And they knew if they were with Jesus, they'd probably try and kill them too. And so it was not, a, not an enjoyable thought to go to Bethany to see Mary, Martha, and, and Lazarus. Imagine how it would feel to wait for those two days, and actually four days, because I think it was two days, he, Jesus was thinking about it, praying about it, and then took a couple days for a journey and to do these things. And in that waiting time, they were imagining, I'm sure, what are we going to see when we get there? Who's going to attack us when we get there? And not to mention, they're burdened in their hearts with this death of, of Lazarus. So they show up to the city of Bethany, the town of Bethany, Jesus and his disciples. And there were people mourning and comforting Mary and Martha. Imagine the sounds of the people. They were crying. They were sad. You know, and Jesus and his disciples show up. Mary and Martha, they, they go and they tell them. And they, they say, Jesus, if you had been here sooner, our brother would not be dead. They knew that Jesus could heal. But imagine the grieving. Jesus, you could heal. What took you so long? Our brother is dead. And so as Jesus looks at all that's going on, he thinks about his friends who are sad. He thinks about Lazarus, who has passed away. And possibly, he's even thinking about how the Jews are out there trying to kill him, trying to find him. And he's also thinking about, possibly, that he will be walking to the cross willingly very soon as he gets closer and closer to that point. And here you have all this taking place. And Jesus goes to where Lazarus is buried. He goes to the tomb and he says, move the stone. And they move the stone and he, he talks to God and then says, Lazarus, come out. And what, what, what did people imagine when he said that? What did they think was going to happen? Lazarus, come out. And then what do you know? Lazarus comes out, still in his grave clothes, out of the tomb. It must have been just an amazing scene. I mean, you can't, you, just think if you were there what that would have been like. You'd just be shaking your head. You'd, you'd fall down the ground maybe in just amazement. But the characters of this story, they understand the hardships and pains of life. I mean, Mary and Martha knew their brother was dead. Jesus' disciples, they were contemplating their own deaths as they were going to Bethany. And see, Jesus understands the pains and the hardships of life too. 
John 11, in verse 35, in the story of Lazarus, it says that Jesus wept. So when we look at Jesus, when we look at Jesus in tears even, we're, we're seeing not just a, a flesh and blood human being, we are, but we're also seeing the word made flesh, as John 1 says. The word through whom all worlds were made, weeping like a, like a baby, just weeping over his friend. Jesus knew the Father's plans completely. We don't know everything completely, right? But he does. And yet he wept. He knew, though, that Lazarus would be raised from the grave. Don't ever forget that that Jesus understands our afflictions. He took on flesh. He took on the afflictions that we take on. When he wept, he experienced what we experience when we're in turmoil, when our hearts feel broken and we, 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 all we can see is the uncertainty in front of us. We don't know what to do. He knows that. He experienced that. He was with us. He's not a God aloof, way up high in the clouds doing his thing. He was a God who dwelt with us, Emmanuel. And the characters in the story, they also understand the promises of God and what he can do. Remember, now Jesus, he knew them in full, but the others didn't. They knew Jesus could heal. They saw him do it before in other, in other places. And Martha also, she tells Jesus that she knows Lazarus will be with God, resurrected to a new life when God restores all things in the end. She knew that. She had that picture, but she didn't know he would raise him from the dead that day. The promises of God, they give hope, though we don't see them clearly. Though there are promises, there's uncertainty in the present. That uncertainty is so hard. It's the uncertainty that drives us bonkers. We don't know what's coming around the next corner. And though these promises give hope and we don't see the full picture from now until the future culmination of the promises of God, there are many clinging to the promises amidst the pain. Many of you. Kids, there are things that you're hoping for and things that you want. It's the reality. You have to wait at times. Your parents might tell you, no, you can't have that. Or maybe you've experienced something really hard. Maybe it's your parents fighting or, or school bullies. Or, the list is long. The things that are hard in your lives, kids, are hard. So this, but this is for all of us in the room. Life is hard. God knows what we are going through. He knows our pain and suffering. He's doing something to to fix this broken world. I wish it was quicker, but God has his plans. He has his ways. We trust him, a God who is working. He's all-powerful. He loves us. And one thing I know is he will keep his promises. So next, let's look at prayer in the pain. In the last section, we explored the idea that the world is currently going through a difficult time like the pains of, of, of giving birth to something new. And also we've seen that we share in this struggle while expressing our desire for all things to be renewed, including our bodies. And we're caught between having the, the first experience of the Spirit and the ongoing challenges of just living our current mortal lives. But the church isn't meant to stay separate from the world's pain. And God, he doesn't stay separate or distant either. Romans 8.26 starts out in this way. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. See, God, he comes right into the middle of our pain. He comes right into the middle of our broken world. And it's through his Spirit's presence and power. God comes right into the middle of our pain and our broken world through his Spirit's presence and power. When we find ourselves struggling to pray, when we don't know what to, to pray for, that's when the Spirit is actively working. It's not about fancy words. It's about a deep, wordless groaning that goes into the unknown depths beyond what we can see or understand. But it's not beyond God, the one who knows our hearts. I, I know talking about these things in this way can almost uh, seem odd because we think we have to have the words all, all figured out at times. But the reality is we don't. The reality is we don't know what to pray at times. Our creator, though, he's always connected with his spirit dwelling in the hearts of his people. God comprehends what his spirit is expressing even when we can. And he listens and responds to prayers that we can only express as painful groans as we are restless with the troubles of the world weighing heavily upon us. And so there's a challenge here, church. There's a challenge here for every follower of Jesus to embrace the responsibility of this unique type of prayer. It, it, it involves getting involved in it involves those two times I said involved it sounded weird but it involves getting involved in a loving groaning and redemptive dialogue between the father and the spirit it involves embracing something such as that where even though it can seem odd to us there's this challenge to to suffer alongside the messiah to to to, to pray as Jesus prayed for for future glorification, and it means being ready for various kinds of physical suffering, being ready for persecution and similar challenges. These prayers, even Jerry mentioned the temptation, they prayed that they would not be tempted, the disciples in the garden. If they were, maybe they didn't know what to pray, but they could pray in that regard. They could pray, God, help us. And just, there are prayers they don't even know what's coming up. And we can enter in with God through prayer, through silence, through listening. Often these hardships, they come from worshiping the true God while the world is still not in order. And so as we pray in this way, we're taking on what, what, what Jesus has done, what, how he prays, and we're entering into the, for the Spirit to work and move us and even shape us in prayer. And just as personal holiness involves taking responsibility for what's under our control now in prayer, as seen in verses 26 and 27, it's about taking responsibility for a much larger world. It's not just about us, right? And, and when we start thinking about the whole world, there's so much. We know we have inter the internet and all of this, and, and, we, and we're reminded, actually, of just how broken this world is. We, we in this generation have more of an understanding of the brokenness of the world than any other generation. And to be honest, it's, it's a weight, it's a burden on our shoulders. And we could be uh, just bogged down by all of that. We need to help this, 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 and this is happening over here, this is happening. That, that, that kind of understanding and knowledge is for God. And we don't know what to do with it at times. 
And so let's pray, let's groan in the spirit and bring these, these anxieties and these frustrations and these uncertainties to God. But let's suffer alongside and share in those sufferings of the Messiah. To be sure, there are many things in this world that require deliberate and articulate prayers, but there's, there's situations where there are also situations where all we can do is be present with God and let the Spirit groan. I want to give you permission, Gulf Coast, to be present with God and let the Spirit do His work. I think that we have our cell phones so handy and every slow moment of the day is, is filled. Myself included. I catch myself on this. This is, this is something we are all fighting. It's our culture. And if it's not that, it's the TV on in the background with the news. I mean, for those of you who don't use your phone. So the reality is we are in a culture. It seems acceptable. But the, the word of God tells us differently. We, we should be entering into God's presence in this way. The God who searches our hearts recognizes the groanings as suffering in line with Jesus' example. This type of prayer is just one part of the molding process, revealing a love for God in our hearts. Romans 5.5 says this, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When we're identified as God's people, not just outwardly, but inwardly, in, in the private prayers and affections within us, we can be confident that God's in control and he can bring good in any situation. Now Romans uh, 8.28, it's a, it's, a, it's a cherished promise for those who have learned to trust God in challenging circumstances. Paul says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And though the world is still struggling and we are part of that struggle, God designed it that way. He didn't remove our struggle. Just like his people, uh, the Jewish people, he, he, they were in slavery. He, he, and they, even as they, were, they escaped slavery and they were freed, they were still in struggle, right? That is the history of God's people. They're in the struggle to represent God with what they're going through as they trust him, walk in his ways. They're showing him off to the world around them. And we too are in the struggle. And it's God's design, church. That's right, yes. It, it, and, it, and, it, and that's exactly how he made it for us. So we, we can't think that this is this struggle that I'm going through or the struggle that our church is going through or this struggle, you know, it, it, it's far from God or it's not right. This is the way God has it designed. We are representatives, ambassadors, a, a city on a hill. Amen. And he's using our trials, he's using our sufferings to, to, to not only show the, to the world who he is through us, but he's using them to mold and shape us. And I don't like it. <laughs> But I need Jesus. I want to become more like Jesus. I cling to Jesus in the hard times. So I trust him. We trust him. So in the Lazarus story, we find Jesus engaged in this profound activity prayer. How did Jesus know that uh, Lazarus wouldn't die? Why did he take his good old time? Why did he take two days after hearing the news and then finally go on this journey? Well, as we look in this story, it seems 
that he was conversing with the Father, grappling with his divine will. His prayers weren't just for Lazarus, but probably even direction for his own plans and actions. And he says in verse 23 to Martha, your brother will rise again. And then later in verse 41, he says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing there, that they may believe that you sent me. For your glory, God. That's what he's saying. So he prayed. He was discerning what to do, where to go, how to do this. And it was all for God's glory in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of this sadness. And we know that from really many instances in Jesus' life, prayer was just crucial to him. So they could understand the Father's will intimately. There was a close union between him and the Father, and only after this communion with God did he take action. Not, really, not, not in the way that Mary and Martha hoped, though, or his disciples. This is not what they expected. He surpassed their wildest expectations. Jesus, the Son of God, found it necessary to spend time in prayer and patiently wait for God's guidance. It's a reminder for us, church. If Jesus, in all of his wisdom, he prayed, he required these uh, prayerful moments where he, he retreated to desolate places, then how much more should we? How much more do we need to engage in prayer and exercise this, this faith in our lives? We can lay our burdens out in prayer and just and simply be still, listening, and allowing the Spirit to speak. So I want, I want to just take a minute and say, prayer lists can be helpful. They're good. They can help us to remember who to pray for. But sometimes we can approach God as if he's Santa Claus. We, we have this list, it's just, God, give me the things I need. Give me the things, I need this, I need this. But he's more concerned about our hearts He wants us to be molded and shaped more into Jesus' image, transforming us to to love God with our whole being, with our heart, soul, strength. And there's also nothing wrong with short prayers. You know me, if I talk to you at any time, there's these short things I'll throw up while we're talking, almost like it doesn't even happen. But when we're wrestling through the chaos, we need to spend long times in prayer. I really want to stress this because one, it's countercultural. And when, when, you, when, you, when, you, when you enter into prayer and there's no, no one watching, it's like you're not getting anything done. When you read your Bible, at least you, you get, oh, I have this knowledge now, right? And, and, but hopefully it's more than that, right? But when you pray in secret, it, 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 on the surface, it looks like a waste of time. But let me encourage you, church. I'm, I'm speaking to myself here. If you knew the, the patterns of my life, I mean, there are times when I do fight to get those, those long periods in prayer. And the, what drives me there is what I'm saying here. I know, I know that God, God will calm my soul. I know that he will give me um, a hope that I didn't have prior to that. There was something that came up last week. Jerry and I were talking about it a little And I said, I'm, just, I'm bringing it to God in prayer as I work through these things, da 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 and, and I hadn't done it yet. It took me a couple days. I was honestly a little, you know, a little turmoil. But that was my plan. That's what I did. I came out the other end, and it was like I just saw differently. Nothing changed, but I did see differently. And if you want to talk about it, I'll, 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 I'll talk about it some other time because there is just, clarity that only God could give. Yeah, praise the Lord. The Psalms could teach us much here. There's lament, there's anger, there's fear expressed by the psalmists. 
We think of Jesus on the cross. He recited the Psalms. So I encourage you, if you, if you don't know how to pray, but one, you could just let the Spirit pray. But if you need some guidance in that, turn to the Psalms, even the ones that don't make sense to you. It's, it's, it's a human being conveying his emotions to God. And when you're like, why would he say this? He's being real. He's being an honest human. He, he struggles like you and I do. I love that it's, it's not censored. We don't need to be censored before God. Kids, when you cry, remember that Jesus did too. It's okay to cry. It's okay to go to your parents and cry, but God wants you to talk to him in your tears too. Okay? He wants you to talk to him in your tears, and I, I want you to have permission that you don't have to fold your hands and close your eyes. Okay? You can talk to God anytime you want. Please do so. Talk to God when you're happy as well. God is the best dad you'll ever have, and he loves you when you go to him. So when we pray, we join in with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we navigate the chaos of life alongside the creator of life. That's what we're doing. When we pray, we take his promises with us. We gain the clarity of his purposes and his ways. We're stripped of this tendency to bend and shape the world's frustration to, to our will. And instead, we leave it in the will of God, in the hands of God. Let's look next at patience in the pain. Verse 25, chapter 8. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Here's a definition of patience. I, I wrote this, so you know it's not um, Webster's version, but I think it hits it. It's the ability to endure difficulties with hopeful expectations during uncertain times. The ability to endure difficulties with hopeful expectations during uncertain times. I don't know about you in this room, but when someone tells me to be patient, it doesn't help very much. <laughs> and if you've noticed how that works when you tell others to be patient, it doesn't really help that much, does it? We have a lot of parents in this room who are like, yeah, you're right, you're right. Um, what, I actually, what we actually need to do is to trust them. Um, that's the only way that I could have hope in what they're promising. There needs to be trust with whoever we're being impatient with, right? We have to have this hope that we, whatever they're telling me to do or not do, it will work out good for me. That's what it takes, ultimately. To be told to be patient, it doesn't get to the heart of it. Now, we still might say it. I said it last night after I wrote this. And I was like, I said it again. That's okay. But Paul uses um, illustrations of labor pains, so it's fitting to lean on that example a bit. So for a minute, let's talk about labor pains. Okay, I think it's a great example about for patience and what it truly is. Some people don't like to use the term pain when they talk about birth pains. We usually associate pain with something that's wrong and needs to go away. But pain in birthing and even uh, the bodily difficulties that take place, uh, even in the early stages of pregnancy, are actually the body doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing perfectly. It's very different when, than when you get a wound, you know, or using the surfing example, a shark bites your arm, right? I mean, you just, you, you want, you need to get rid of that pain. You need to do all you can to get rid of that, you know, tie that thing up, put a bandage on it, get to the hospital fast. Um, <laughs> the pain is a, wor a warning, you know? Yes, it, it needs to go away. But a pregnant woman endures all the challenges and the difficulties, maintaining this hopeful expectation for 
for a positive outcome, even in the face of uncertainty or prolonged waiting. She's patient. And even as a woman's belly gets larger, yeah, it happens, right? It's not because the baby is, it's not just because the baby's growing. It's because there's this fluid-filled sac that is a protection for the baby. It's doing a lot of work besides just protecting. But it's there for a reason. See, the difficulties all through pregnancy have their uh, purposes. It's not something to run away from. And so the difficulties may be many. The waiting may be long, but there's a hope. The mom has a hope of holding that baby in her arms, and she's looking toward that, that reality coming. So amidst the trials of childbearing, moms, you are exuding patience. You are displaying patience, and you're displaying your trust in that in your, what your body is doing. And may I say, it's a little bit like be, being like Jesus. So we love you, moms. But the mom believes in the promise of a baby, and though there'll be difficulties along the way, she's enduring with hopeful expectation that pain is necessary, not to remove, but something necessary in the process of forming new life. So patience, being a fruit of the Spirit, meaning that it's something that is formed in us by God, and when we express it, we show God off. Patience isn't just keeping our mouths shut. It's an outflow. It's an outflow of the hope that we have in God, and when we express it, we're displaying a picture for people to see. We're displaying, really, the glory of God within us, working. Now, kids are notorious. One, one last thing for the kids here. Kids are notorious for asking why. And sometimes it's over and over again, but it's like, why, 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 why? Now, wait, I'm going to talk to the adults here in a minute because we do the exact same thing. Why, God? Why? You need to explain this right now. Why is it happening? So, kids, we're all in the same boat. And also, we're used to the question, what's next? Hey, when are we doing this? What's next? When's this going to happen? Hey, hey, Ma, hey, Dad, you right? It happens all the time. They want me to tell them everything about my day, and I don't even know what's happening in my day. But we ask the same things. Tell me what's next, God. Don't make me wait. I don't like this uncertainty. Just, just line it up. I need to know your will, God. But let me suggest that the better question is to ask who. Who's in control? Who's setting the plans? Who's guiding this thing? In the Lazarus story, Mary falls down at Jesus' feet. And she says, if only you had been there, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. But Jesus, Mary doesn't fully know what, he, what, what he's going to do. So she says, I know that Lazarus will rise again in the last day. I know. But she doesn't get that he'll be raised to life in this time period, mortal life. She doesn't see it clearly. So Jesus gives her this classic Jesus-style response. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. He's challenging her, church. He's urging her to exchange, to really to say, instead of if only, if only you had been here, to say, if Jesus was here. If Jesus, right? Because Jesus can do anything. If Jesus uh, is who she's coming to believe he is, if he's the Messiah, if he's the one who was promised by the prophets, if he was the one to come into the world, if he was God's own son, the one in whom the, the, the living God is, is, is present and right there in the flesh, if he's the resurrection in person, 
that she can have hope, hopeful expectation during this uncertain time. It's about who she's placing her trust in. So being told to be patient doesn't help me to be patient. What I need is to trust the one who's in control at that time. And the band, by the way, you guys can come up. I'm closing. A woman needs to trust her body to develop the baby, right? We need to trust the process. All right, keep, keep it up, man, whatever you're doing. Keep, just stay there. You just hang out. A child needs to trust their parents. Trust me, Judah. Uh, that, that they'll provide and look out for their good, even when it's hard to see the whole picture. And Jesus' followers, though we don't know what tomorrow might look like or what the storms of life are, are going to bring us, what we do know is our Heavenly Father is in complete control. And he loves us dearly. Verse 32 of chapter 8 says this, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? When we look at the cross, we see clearly our trustworthy Savior. See, Lazarus' resurrection, it led to a quicker death sentence for Jesus as he walked closer to, 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 to his execution. He knew it, and even his disciples knew it in part. He walked there willingly. He entered death so that we could have life. Will you cling to his promises? Will you spend time in prayer? Will you pursue patience? Will you trust him with your pain? Our trials and hardships shape us. And they're so hard at times, church. We're in this together. Let's walk alongside each other. Remind each other of his promises and even enter into prayer for, with God for them, for our friends. And yet, as Paul says, in conclusion, I'm going to read this, verse 38, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, ne neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.